Welcome, everyone. Uh, You're listening to the Future Skills Podcast, which brings together experts from coast to coast to coast uh, to discuss the most important challenges facing the future of work. My name is Julie Caffley. I am the Executive Director of Catalyst Canada and delighted to be your host uh, for this podcast. Today, we'll focus on another important issue affecting the future of work, which is neurodiversity. It's become such an important topic in the workplace, but the term is really still new to many. Neurodiversity is a range of naturally different ways of thinking, interacting, and processing information. It's often referred to as an invisible disability and covers a range of conditions. For example, autism spectrum, ADHD, dyslexia, anxiety, depression, and obsessive compulsive disorder. So it's really quite broad. And there's so much in our workplace that doesn't understand the complexities of of neurodiversity. Interviewing and onboarding processes are not designed for neurodiverse employees to succeed. And there can be some many barriers in terms of accessing employment. The barriers stem from undervaluing neurodivergent workers' strengths in the workplace, as well as biases against the way that neurodivergent individuals present themselves and communicate with others during the interview process or more broadly within the work environment. So more than two-thirds of HR and business executives admit their organization is at best only somewhat successful in its attempts to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace. This comes at a time when employers are searching for skilled workers due to labor shortages and expanding the talent pipeline and bringing in neurodiverse employees is critical to maximize workforce participation and the future of work. I'm so looking forward personally uh, to this discussion today, Um, and I have with me two incredible experts in the field of neurodiversity in the workplace to discuss these questions. Neil Barnett is the Director of Inclusive Hiring and Accessibility at Microsoft, and I've followed their initiative for a long time and really been fascinated by it. And Rada McCullough is the VP and Head of Canada at Specialist Turn North America, and another uh, incredible expert in this area. So thank you to both for joining us today to discuss these issues. To start off, we're going to talk about neurodiverse workers more broadly. And I think we need to take for granted that, you know, many, much of the audience, uh, you know, this will be new for a lot of people. And so I guess my first question is, how can employers create productive spaces for neurodivergent workers to thrive and to feel safe in divulging their needs and, and to bring their, their full self to work? And I'm going to start with you, Neil. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me today. It's a great topic. I think employers, when you think about work, it's about creating a culture of inclusion and whether it's neurodiversity or any other dimension. So I think what are the simple steps that employers can take for neurodiversity and in general about creating trust in the workforce? And so for a lot of employees that are neurodivergent, they may not self-disclose or self-identify to their manager or to their leadership. And so what are those things that any employer can do that's good for everybody? And so that's one of the things that we try to talk about at Microsoft and in general with other employers, or what are those things that you can do for everybody? And they're simple things, right? It could be asking employers about their communication styles and preferences. It can be about recapping meetings with actually written notes so people can go back later and digest and think about the topic. It could be simple things around just asking folks about preferences, about, you know, attending meetings in person or remote, like things are good for everybody. And I think that's a big piece of it is just what are the things that employers can do today to make it more inclusive for everybody? 
That's amazing, Neil. Thank you. Uh, Rada, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, great to be here. Thanks, Julie. And uh, great to be here with you too, Neil. I would echo much of what Neil has shared. At Specialist Erna, we really encourage employers and managers to have those regular and, and proactive conversations with their employees about what they need to be their best at work. So, you know, asking questions like Neil said, how do you prefer to communicate? How do you like to receive feedback? In what kind of an environment do you find you work best? And, you know, even if an employee has disclosed, perhaps they've shared that they are autistic, asking those questions really allows managers to move beyond a, a label and actually get to know their employee. So, you know, just as Neil had, had shared, you know, asking questions, you know, to get at, you know, can a schedule be adjusted to allow for sort of deep focused work? Can the employee have access to a quiet working space? At the end of the day, we really encourage employers to be flexible, to be adaptable, and to be creative, and to be open to making some of those really simple informal adjustments where possible. And what I would add is that we also encourage employers to consider almost building out a bit of a library of, of workplace adjustments or accommodations that not only include equipment or technology or those modifications to the physical environment, but you know some of those adjustments to ways of working or communicating or collaborating, because we find that for many neurodivergent employees, they may not feel that they can ask for a particular adjustment or a modification to address some of those more hidden or entrenched barriers in the workplace. And those are things like organizational processes or practices or, or ways of communicating on the job. I think that last part is really important, those, those soft accommodations. It could be having breaks, like sometimes teams will schedule long meetings for multiple hours. There needs to be multiple breaks so people can get up, get away from the screen. It could be sending agendas in advance so people have time to digest and study the information and not walk in, not knowing what's going on. So there's a lot of accommodations that are what I call soft accommodations that don't cost anything. It's just rethinking your process to be more inclusive. Spot on. That's great. And maybe before I even get into the next question, if we go back a step and really looking at the whole concept, even of disclosure, of course, you know, before an employee feels that level of ease to disclose something like this in the workplace, there are some things that can be done to help optimize and help encourage that disclosure. Could you talk a bit about that, Neil? Well, I think it's, it, again, that that culture of trust, we always talk about culture of trust is so important and it takes time for companies to build it to accrue it sometimes for employers to feel safe that they want to self-disclose to their employer. One of the things that we've seen at Microsoft is as you evolve that culture of trust, when other coworkers are, are able to tell their story, right, and share. For larger companies, you might have an employee resource group. And in our case at Microsoft, we have one for neurodiversity. But it could be, you know, a coworker, a team member, an executive telling their story about, in this case, being neurodivergent and what it's like to work at the company. But I think there are things that employers can do and signpost and kind of build that credibility with everyone at the company that will make employees over time feel comfortable to self-disclose. But the manager is really the key because the manager is the one that's working with the employee every day. Rana, can you talk a bit about um, some of the barriers that neurodivergent individuals uh, face in the workplace and how can we remove these barriers? So uh, at Specialist Erna, we work with businesses to build their organizational capacity to create more neuro neuro-inclusive approaches to hiring and management. And so we know that many of those standard or perhaps uh, typical approaches to how we hire, so I'm thinking resumes and interviews, 
and how we manage people in the workplace can often present as barriers for neurodivergent talent or neurodivergent employees. And, you know, so in a tight labor market, attracting talent is really critical. And the neurodivergent community represents a, a really vast untapped talent pool. You know, so in, in Canada, we've got, if we look at some, you know, some of the recent stats, you know, about 33% of autistic working age adults are employed, and that's compared to 79% of working age adults without a disability. So, you know, in order to tap into the talent pool, it becomes really critical to remove some of those barriers. And in terms of candidate recruitment and assessment, in our experience, uh, we know that that standard sort of resume and interview approach might actually obscure or kind of get in the way of a neurodivergent candidate's potential for the job. So an interview may be a great tool for evaluating how well a person does it, sort of selling themselves, but it might be a less useful tool at allowing a candidate to actually showcase or demonstrate their skills and competencies. What we do at, at Specialist Erna is wherever possible, we like to work with our employer partners to really identify ways to adapt those approaches to be more of a, a show instead of a tell approach. So we might, you know, rely more on, on work samples, uh, for example. Or, you know, if you are going to hold an, an interview, you might consider providing those questions in advance or allowing more time for candidates uh, to process information during the interview, for example. That's great. Neil, can I get you to describe in a, in a bit of a, a concrete fashion, the initiative that you've advanced at Microsoft and how it works? At a high level, at every company, whether you're neurodivergent or a person with a disability, you can apply to any company for any role through the traditional career site. And as we talked about a little earlier, it's about making those processes more inclusive for everybody, right? The agenda in advance, the more times, these are things any employer that's listening can do today. Then there's employers that have created what I call an alternative front door, which is a back to the point about looking at your or your interview process and how can you make it even more inclusive. And so Microsoft has been on a journey since 2015 um, when we started our autism hiring program, which is now called neurodiversity. We've created a, a multi-day, three or four day event where we bring candidates in. We let candidates get to know each other, get to know the teams. We do those experience kind of exercises that we just talked about where candidates can showcase their skills and have more time and ask questions. We'll do mock interviews and practice interviews before the actual real final interview that, again, is more spaced out, potentially could have a job coach there. We've trained the managers and interviewers ahead of time to focus on the skills and the experiences and not on potentially social cues. So we really try to set the candidate up for success during our three or four day process. And again, you know, some candidates come through that traditional front door, which works great for many, many people. And then at Microsoft, along with a lot of other companies, they've created this, you know, different shaped front door to come through. But again, everything's the same, same pay, the same benefits, the same job expectations, all the same. It's just a more accommodated interview process initially. I love that. Um, the alternate front door is, is a brilliant term. And I love the fact that, you know, you're rooting for the incumbents from the very beginning and you want them to be at their best. And I think about, you know, old fashioned interview techniques where it's like, oh, we'll try to catch them on this question or we'll try to, you know, you know, how many of us are not, not great in an interview process, which is, is awkward, whether it's on Zoom or in person or, you know, multiple people around the table and really flipping that on its head to say, how can we get people to be at their best? It's so simple. And yet kind of the opposite of, of the many, you know, many ways that interviews are, are held even today. 
I'm going to flip over a bit to looking at the impacts from the employers and and other stakeholders in terms of hiring neurodivergent employees and just the the amazing, you know, positive effects of this for organizations. And Rada, maybe if you could talk a bit about what we're seeing employers doing in this space, what are they learning? What are some of the opportunities um, from the employer perspective? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that what we're seeing is that uh, I started sort of working in this space back in, in 2014, and, and certainly things have shifted quite a bit since then, as employers are really recognizing that the value and the benefits of, of building neurodiverse teams and organizations. Maybe I'll, I'll drill down on one specific sort of aspect of you know, where we see change in the workplace, and, and that really is around onboarding creating a really strong onboarding experience for neurodivergent hires. When we think about creating or, or building a, a neuroinclusive workplace, we do need to think about that full sort of employment trajectory from all the way from sourcing to assessment to onboarding and career advancement. To drill down on the onboarding experience, we know that that is not only important for employees, but it's also really important for businesses. A good onboarding experience, you know, it makes employees feel comfortable and supported and confident. But, you know, if we even think about our own experiences, what is the most difficult part about starting a job? And it's often about learning all the information that's not included in a standard, in your standard onboarding presentations and materials. So we're seeing employers really sort of take this on and work to adapt um, those typical onboarding practices to improve the experience for neurodivergent candidates. We typically see that in onboarding practices, they're really focused on that process and paperwork, and there might be sort of unclear instructions or expectations, you know, unclear or ambiguous instructions and training. Of course, not necessarily intentional. There might be a lack of, of feedback or, you know, those sort of unwritten rules of the workplace. And, you know, what we're seeing employers do, and certainly a big part of what we, we do with employers is to support an improved onboarding process. And that, that really is, it comes down to clarity. And so it's about really the act of making some of those processes and policies or those, you know, hidden social norms and behaviors more, more explicit. So, you know, it's that inclusive onboarding that's really trying to take the guesswork out of starting a new a new job. And that's particularly important for neurodivergent folks who, who they learn and, and communicate and process information differently. And again, you know, as Neil has highlighted previously, this is helpful and, and beneficial for neurodivergent employees, but it's beneficial for all employees. It's a good example of where we're seeing some real change happen with our employer partners. I think that's spot on. I think the I work a lot with other employers and I think the two trends that I'm seeing are one, and again, this is targeted more, I would say at more enterprise organizations, larger organizations, but really thinking about diversifying role types. So traditionally, you know, there's a lot of the news about STEM, um, which is great, right? As a technology company, we hire a lot of STEM candidates, but also thinking about, you know, what about those corporate function roles, HR, marketing, finance, a lot of great talent out there. It's not all technical. And so, you know, having employers really think about as they create programs, so back to that alternate front door, you know, what are the roles that are there? Are they more than technical roles? And so we see more and more employers coming to the market with with what I would say non-STEM roles, which I think is great. And then I think the other trend, which I'm really excited about is, you know, for all these companies that have programs and there's a there's a site, we, we lead a... Uh, Neurodiversity at Work Employer Roundtable, and there's over 50 employers in there, one being Good Feet Delivery in Canada. Shout out to Good Feet. But one of the things that we're seeing is 
the vast majority of folks really aren't hired through these programs, right? You know, a few hundred at EY, a few hundred at Microsoft, a few hundred at SAP. But there are hundreds, if not thousands, already in their organizations. We're seeing more and more companies take these learnings from these what I call lighthouse programs and pull that red thread back across the entire enterprise. That's how you impact you know, a tremendous amount of people to be productive and successful. They're already working at your company. You just haven't been thinking about it. And so it's great for companies to have, you know, these programs, these alternate hiring programs, you know, to get people in the door, but taking the learnings and the resources that you're building for this cohort of, of individuals and pulling it back across your entire enterprise, that's how you scale and that's how you have true impact. And I'm seeing more and more companies realize that and spend more time shifting that way. That's great advice. And I love what you're saying around, you know, clarity being kindness, you know, like a lot of this is, is basic human kind of kindness, compassion, clarity that, that makes a such a huge difference for all employees, as you were saying, Neil. So maybe just a, a look at stakeholders in the broader skills ecosystem. So skills practitioners, training centers, higher ed, how can we be doing more and better to support neurodivergent workers in their job search or, or whatever else it might be? Rada? Oh, that's a great question. I think that perhaps I'll use a, an example, just drilling down, you know, working directly with, with new managers that might have a, a new neurodivergent employee. I can't stress enough the importance of, of communication. Um, and, you know, I think we talk about that a lot um, when we're talking to stakeholders, um, whether that be post-secondary institutions or whether it be a, you know, a specific um, hiring team within an organization. I think it comes down to, you know, talking about the importance of communication, accessible communication. That takes some, sometimes it takes a little training. It, it takes adjustments on behalf of our own selves uh, to, to change how we communicate with others. As I said earlier, you know, autistic or, or neurodivergent folks, they may learn, they may communicate, they may process information differently. They really benefit from that accessible and inclusive communication. And that communication is universally beneficial. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about that um, with, within stakeholder groups, um, you know, creating opportunities for information exchange uh, to sort of ensure that mutual understanding. You know, we often find people tend to rely on kind of mind reading rather than mutual understanding. You know, we assume that our employee or our student knows and understands what we know and understand. And, and that's where a lot of, you know, miscommunication comes from. We also really advocate for the use of, of plain language in written communication, simple, clear language, being direct, clear, literal, avoiding some of the, the, the sort of soft or nuanced language um, that can happen when communicating, you know, with whether it be with a student or, or with an employee. So it sounds really foundational and perhaps obvious, uh, but I think it's just it's so critical to creating neuroinclusive spaces, whether that be a, at work or beyond. That's great. Neil, did you want to add in anything there in terms of the broader ecosystem? I would say the broader ecosystem is, is really, it's been amazing to see it develop over the last five to seven years. There's a ton of great service providers out there. And so you don't have to be an expert in this space and know everything. Like there are tons of partners out there that are willing and able to help today get you started on the journey because it is a journey and we're still on the journey at Microsoft. And so the ecosystem, whether it's training, whether it's skilling, you know, whether it's talent pipeline, whether it's everything from that whole life cycle perspective, there are tons of great folks out there that can help if folks are interested. 
That's great advice. And it is a journey and it's, it's a journey that never ends, right? Like it's constantly improving and bettering and ensuring that, you know, the full team skills up in terms of understanding how to best create these inclusive spaces. So it's, it's something that is definitely a, a journey. So I guess one of my final questions is focusing around how we're better able to support managers. How, how are we able to, you know, roll this out? You know, we have experts like you who do amazing work. Well, how are we able to ensure, you know, and I, and I know at Microsoft, they've done some really innovative work around having, you know, teams almost together where that manager has a full understanding of the ins and outs. And so maybe, maybe even talk a bit about the advantages and disadvantages of, you know, specific teams as opposed to, you know, managing across the organization. And Neil, I'll start with you. At Microsoft, like we are constantly working with the manager community, right, to upskill them in this space of, you know, neurodiversity, disability readiness, accessibility, because as you said, you know, 70, 80 percent of all disabilities are invisible or non-apparent. And so um, many folks have people on their team that are neurodivergent and they don't know, right? Because they haven't, back to the beginning, self-disclosed. And so we're constantly working on the fundamentals of, you know, things you can do as a manager to be, as we talked about in the beginning, more inclusive that are good for everybody, right? And so it's amazing how many managers that will lean in to these topics, like recapping meeting notes or providing more feedback or being more concise. And it is good for everybody, and I'll have people come up and say, hey, Neil, what's changed? You're a better manager. Like, this is one-on-one management stuff, but your entire team will notice if you actually do some of these things. And you'll be hitting the, the broad spectrum of diversity by doing that. So I think we spend a lot of time with managers in this space, and there's a lot to do. But I think it, it's super important if one in seven folks are neurodivergent, and you think about your workforce size, you know, there's folks on your team that can use some support this way. Well, and you mentioned those that don't disclose, you know, obviously there's, I don't know what percentage, but there's many who are probably undiagnosed as well, right? And, and not even aware of this. So that's a whole other reality and talking about the effects for everyone that are positive. Rada, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? I would absolutely echo um, Neil's comments there. We do a lot of work um, hand in hand with with managers to you know build their their education and their awareness and understanding about neurodiversity and uh, different diagnoses or, or labels or identities. You know, but I think as um, I shared earlier, really drilling down on looking at sort of how how we all communicate with one another. One of the the great things that we we do uh, with many of the managers that we work with is we do a what we call a productivity profile. And it is uh, it is designed to complete with your employees, but we invite managers to complete it as well. And it's that process of sort of reflecting on how do you work best and how do you sort of receive feedback and what kind of environment do you work best in? And often, you know, that sort of reflective exercise of understanding, well, you know, you know, I might not identify as being autistic or having ADHD, but I do have, you know, ways that I prefer to communicate and to work. And that can, you know, really create an open environment where, to Neil's point, um, managers become more open to adapting and adjusting, you know, how teams collaborate and and, and work together uh, to be more sort of universally inclusive for neurodivergent employees, but also the larger employee bases as well. And I think at the end of the day, you know, a lot of what we do with employers is really encouraging managers specifically is encouraging them to get to know the person you know, we can talk about um, uh, neurodiversity, we can talk about uh, labels like autism and ADHD, 
or intellectual disability. But at the end of the day, it's it really is about getting to know your employees, asking those questions, getting the information that goes beyond that that label. And that's where we're really going to move the needle in terms of, um, you know, being a flexible, creative uh, workplace that allows for some of those natural adjustments. So as you could probably tell, I could, I could go on for a long time. We've definitely gone past our time. Um, you know, as a mom of a neurodivergent son, I have to say it gives me a lot of comfort to know that uh, people like you are out there in the world doing the good work that each of you are doing because it's pretty inspiring. And of course, we didn't speak about it today directly. Um, but of course, the amazing skills and talents of these individuals in terms of perspective and creativity and expertise that frankly, Others don't have, you know, they're exceptional in, in so many, so many ways. And when, when workplaces are ever able to uncover all of that, there's so much amazing benefit uh, to everyone. And so uh, thank you both for joining us today and for this exchange. What really helps us to discover the specifics of neurodiversity in the workplace. It's still relatively a new idea as much as I, I believe Neil said he's been working on this since uh, 2015. So not so new at Microsoft, but new to many, many employers. And it really helps us to understand how essential neurodiverse employees are to the workplace and to the future of work. And also see how embracing neurodiversity in the workplace creates and promotes um, more diverse perspectives, boosts company culture, collaboration, and productivity. And since some employers don't have the capacity or resources, this integration and implementation of neurodiversity inclusion initiatives, it's really essential to have supports and training for all employees surrounding the strengths and values of neurodiverse individuals in the workplace. And um, so many great messages today, but a lot of it, you know, was really going back to basics, talking about that alternative front door the importance of, of clarity as kindness and uh, how this really benefits all employees within the organizations and not simply um, neurodiverse employees. So really, really grateful for the time of Neil Barnett, who's the Director of Inclusive Hiring and Accessibility at Microsoft, Rada McCullough, who's the VP and Head of Canada at Specialist Turn North America. And we're delighted to have benefited from your experience, from your compassion, your insights. And I know that many employers who are listening today will be greatly beneficial of that. Thanks to the listeners for tuning in. Please continue to follow us and share these episodes. I'm your host, Julie Caffley, and have a fabulous day. Thank you so much.